Uh, I hope that you can grab a hold of what it is that we're, we're digging into uh, today. I do want to give a couple disclaimers um, and some information. Here's, here's the first one. Uh, during this series, over the next several, several weeks, you are going to hear me quote out of this book a lot. Um, I get a lot of questions about the, the books that I read, the stuff that I get information from, and uh, w- without giving too much information... Uh, I've got a little side project that we're going to be, that we're working on in the background that I'm excited uh, to dig into to give you more content throughout the weeks. But uh, for those of you who are asking, you'd love to grab a hold of some of the stuff that helps influence these messages. Uh, it was this book right here called Jesus, the Great Philosopher. So you're going to hear a lot, of, uh, a lot of stuff out of this. I say this with every book, chew on the meat, spit out the bones. And uh, this has been a great book and you'll hear some stuff out of it over the next little while. Uh, also, disclaimer, today is the 30,000 foot view at this series. Okay, And so what we like to do is we like to kind of create a platform uh, to which it, uh, this entire series will exist off of. So today I'm going to read you our anchor scripture, uh, just so you kind of know where we're going. This is the scripture that keeps us uh, based in this series, so I'm going to read that, and then we're going to start navigating through some, uh, some informative bits of the message that I hope in, uh, keeps us locked in through the course of this series. What I want to deal with today, I want sitting in the background as we then walk through the next several weeks and we get topical about the stuff we're going to be dealing with. Does that sound good? Make sense? All right, so I need you to lean in with me today. A lot of information. We're going to go to school for a little bit. Uh, I'm going to do some teaching and uh, maybe less preaching today, but I got a lot of information to get out for you. So hopefully your uh, feather quills and papyrus is ready to go. Uh, pens and papers and notebooks, phones, iPads, uh, tablets, whatever you're working on today. Um, it's the last service. So here we go. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 says this. The Proverbs of Solomon Son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline. Come on, already some of us are ignoring this message because we don't like those things. For understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man. Let a wise person listen and increase learning. And let a discerning person obtain guidance. For understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. Verse 7, here's what we need to hear now. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Today, as we begin our new series, Act of Fool, I want to speak to you from the subject, Four Gurus and a God. Four gurus and a God as we look at the importance of wisdom and where true wisdom comes from. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we we love you, we honor you, we thank you for this moment. God, I pray right now that your word would be the instruction needed as all of us navigate this thing called life. I pray today that this moment as we've gathered together as a community would strengthen us, it would sharpen us, it would change us and transform us underneath the teaching of your word today. I pray that it would be your word that brings truth to us. And in doing so, that it corrects the things that need to be corrected, that it shines light on the areas that need light, and that ultimately it sets us free. And so God, we already at the beginning of this thing, we say, speak to us, we're listening. And God, may these be your words, not my words. May your spirit guide my mouth today. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. Amen. Uh, my life flashed before my eyes last summer, fly fishing on the Weber River near Ogden. Here's why. 
Because like many of us, I failed to exercise wisdom. Come on, can I get a witness in church today? So I'm fishing and uh, had a buddy with me and he had gone upriver and I decided that I was gonna try to uh, do some fishing around this massive boulder that was sitting in the middle of the river. So I started to wade over to the river and I had my waders on and, and uh, it was one of those times where the river, as I'm going to where I was trying to get to, it was starting to climb higher and higher and higher. And so I started to realize, you know when, when, things, like when the predicament gets a little bit weird for you, you know your mind starts working in overtime and you have that self-talk that's going on in there? And then how many of you know that one moment, guys especially, we know this moment because it happens frequently just when we start breathing. So, um, <laughs> but that moment that it pops in your head, you go, I should probably turn back now. Or don't do this, right? You know, what, you know what I'm talking about? So that clicked in. And then I ignored it, and I kept on walking. So I got to the top of this, this massive boulder in the river. There was this really deep fishing hole in, in the front of it because of the way the current was working. And so I'm fishing. I'm having a blast. I probably stayed up there for like 30 minutes trying to catch a fish uh, up in there. And, uh, and then after a while, no luck. So I decided I'm going to get off. But this time, I wasn't going to go backwards. It took me too long. I was a little bit concerned uh, going back in, in, in what I had waded through. So I decided, okay, there's this log that's jetting off of the side of the boulder. I'm just going to kind of shimmy my way down that log and get over to this sandbar that was running through the river on the backside of this deep hole. Well, I get off the log, I put, or get off the rock, I put my foot onto the log, and just as I'm stepping into the log, my foot slips out from underneath me and I take a head dive into the deep hole. That day, I failed to wear something that I needed to wear, which was my waiter belt. If you know anything about waders, you need a waiter belt because it keeps something from happening. Water going all the way into your waders and making you a dead weight. So it was in that moment that all of a sudden my waders started to fill up and there's a panic that happens. And the panic literally starts from your toes and starts working up as the waders fill. And so I'm, I'm <laughs> some of you got that just now. Um, the water just, it was a rising panic level, if you know what I'm saying. So it's filling, it's filling, and I'm starting to panic, and my head's underwater at this point, and I feel myself sinking. So everything, like if you fly fish before, you know this is like one of those moments where everything in my life flashed before my eyes. I saw my kids, right? Like I saw the people that I love. I saw my wife yelling at me for being stupid. Like oh, I saw all of those things in, in, like a, in a nanosecond. Luckily, like long story short, just so you know, the end, I, I lived. <laughs> So you, so you all know. I made it. I know, surprise. The Titanic sinks as well. So, um, <laughs> so I grabbed onto this, this twig and, and I, uh, I pulled myself out like from drowning, got on there, and then I kind of waded my way back. In total and complete panic, I got to the edge of the shore and then my buddy comes strolling up and he comes walking up and he's like, dude, why are you so wet? Only guys can ask questions like that. <laughs> as you sit next to a river, right? So I told him the story and, uh, and, we, did, and we proceeded to, to make our way out. How many of you would agree with me that wisdom has the ability to stop us from experiencing some hard things in life? How many of you know that moment actually could, I could have gotten away from that moment by simply exercising some wisdom. Every shout wisdom. Wisdom. The reality is there's two ways to live our lives. There's the, 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 the place of wisdom, and then there's acting like a fool. The iconic action figure, Mr. T, was famous for his line, I pity the fool. He would say this about anyone who would try and fight against him physically or otherwise. And the truth is this, being a fool has massive implications for our lives. None of us wake up and think, today I'm going to be a fool. 
Like none of us woke up today and said, hey, you know what today, like as we're drinking our coffee, I think I'm gonna be stupid. Like that's, no one did that today. Most of us would agree that acting a fool rarely happens on purpose, right? However, the more the world progresses, the more foolishness and the effects of it seem to be on the rise. In this series, Act a Fool, we will explore topics like relationships, health, emotions, how we think and perceive, and more. We're gonna dig into singleness for all the singles in the house today. We're gonna dig into marriage. We're gonna dig into parenting and, and friendship. We're gonna dive into disciplines and habits, you know, those things that we love to hate, and things we do with the gift of time. We'll learn to handle life and faith using the wisdom of God rather than the wisdom of man. We will work to define what wisdom really is so that we can really live with wisdom in order to not act a fool. Does that sound like a series you wanna be a part of? I hope so. Known as Justin the Martyr, he would explain, according to author Jonathan Pennington, that philosophy is a way of finding true life. And would you all agree with me today that that seems to be our quest? What is true life? What is life to the fullest? What is the flourishing life? These are questions that, that we ask. It doesn't matter what our faith background is. Maybe today you have no faith whatsoever. You don't even believe in Jesus. You think he is a unicorn fairy tale thing. We all ask the same question though. What is life? What's the, remember the existential question that we all wrestled with, especially when we were younger, for those of us who are old? What is the meaning of life? As we held a skull in our hand, right? Like what? <laughs> Justin would find that true life in Jesus is the meaning of life. As he would navigate his journey of faith from Justin the philosopher to Justin the martyr, as he would eventually be arrested and killed for his faith in Jesus. Jonathan Pennington would go on to write this concerning this moment. Christianity is the true philosophy that through faith and the power of the spirit enables people to see the world in a certain way and to live accordingly. It is the way to the truly good life. He would go on to write, Christianity is not just a set of doctrines, but a divine whole life philosophy worth dying for if need be. Justin the martyr would engage in that. The problem that we face today is that we've all but adopt, adopted a fully encompassing philosophical approach to our life and faith. In other words, what I'm saying is that for many of us, we've parsed out faith. It's not a whole life reality. It doesn't impact or affect everything that we are. And because of that, some significant issues have developed. Here's the first one. Our faith is often separated and segmented out of every other aspect of our life. In other words, we've become religious. We don't like to say it, right? Many of us wouldn't even call ourselves religious. You'd be like, I go to that church where they have really loud music and bright lights, and so I'm definitely not religious. It's contemporary. Just so you know, I'm a poking prod at some things during this series. But we've become religious. Why? Because we've taken our faith and we've allowed it to only become one aspect of, we, of who we are. When it's a whole life philosophy, it impacts everything that I am. It impacts every decision, every statement, the way I see things, the way I think things, the way I feel things, the way I do things. But the thing that we've arrived to is that our faith has been separated, segmented out. Here's the second thing that's happened when we've stopped seeing Christianity as a whole life philosophy, philosophy is we employ other sources to give us the knowledge and wisdom needed to live the lives we consider to be flourishing or what we'll consider later as the good life. 
We'll talk about more. We'll talk about this in a moment as I introduce us to our four gurus, but we find all kinds of people to fill the space, don't we? Musicians, politicians, businessmen, Tony Robbins, doTERRA. Like, there's all kinds of people. This is 1230 servers. I'm going to get in trouble. Our, our gurus, right? The universe, crystals, all kinds of stuff to fill the void that is missing. Here's the next thing that we've done. We've neglected asking the major questions that scripture sets out to answer. How the world works and how we engage in living it, but not being of it. This is an issue that we are facing in spades right now. Pop terms like deconstruction and progression are spearheading the way. Can I just let us know something? People have been trying to deconstruct the word of God for millennia. At the very beginning, Satan himself tried to deconstruct it. He said, did God really say? And that's the question we're asking right now, isn't it? It doesn't matter where you're at in your faith journey. I know for many of us in this room right now, you're kind of just kicking the tires on faith. You're trying to figure this whole thing out. I want us to just wrestle with each other, all right? So we can all agree on this one thing. People have been trying to deconstruct this forever. Here's the thing about it, though. No matter how hard we try, truth is truth, and you cannot get around it. I will stop preaching for a second. Let's work through the notes. And because of all of this, what happens? We have all but lost our witness to the world around us. And here's why. Because we neglect wisdom, we stay away from hard conversations. That is the greatest critique. I, I want to tell you this right now. I love the local church. I love it. I'm a church boy. And I don't want to throw the local church underneath the bus, but I do need to prop it up a little bit and say, hey, listen, we got to do things a little bit better. And some of that comes down to starting to look through the lens of wisdom. We can't just run around with our feelings and our emotions and pop culture and all these different things when I understand what the word says so that my witness becomes potent in the world. I can't be afraid of hard questions. And the reason that the church has lost its potency is because we've become afraid of hard questions. So we've got to train ourselves with wisdom. Come on, somebody shout, act a fool. <laughs> we've disengaged from the language of wisdom and philosophy. Because here's the truth. Wisdom has an accent, and the church has worked really hard at losing that accent. If you've been around church for any amount of time, the past 20 years has given way to the church trying to fit in. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like we try to, we try to look and act the same and we try to, we try to fit in. And, and, and again, I'm not saying like, I love the fact that I can wear Nikes and jeans on a Sunday morning, praise the Lord Jesus, okay? Because I'm comfy right now. But the other thing that we have to realize is that in our quest to fit in, we lost our accent. We don't sound like we're supposed to sound. We don't see things the way that we're supposed to see things. We lost wisdom. And when we lose the accent of wisdom, we lose our potency. Philosophy is a whole life approach, as is the counsel and wisdom of God's word. And as we separate and parse out different areas of our lives, some to be trained by the world and others to be given over to God, 
we end up building a compartmentalized and dualistic life, one that is void of any true conviction or truth. And in doing this, we have foregone our adopted nature in Christ and traded it in for a slippery, when wet approach to life that allows us to slide in and out of certain convictions as we see fit when circumstances necessitate it. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, act a fool. (laughs) As theologian Peter Leihart recognizes, many Christians are dualists, mistakenly living our lives like a layered cake with supernatural truths on the top layer of an otherwise natural cake. The church adds a spiritual dimension to my life but leaves my natural world more or less intact. I like to put it this way, we've put frosting on it. Frost yourselves. Remember that? What was that? How to lose a guy in 10 days? Yeah. We used to watch that when we were dating and married and everything like that. So we put frosting. What does frosting look like? Well, frosting looks like ticking the box on Facebook. Frosting looks like the, the toss out of a random scripture because you saw it on a Hallmark card. And you post it on Instagram. Frosting. Because I heard this said once. Frosting. Because I read this once, frosting, because I looked at the bottom of an In-N-Out cup, frosting. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Well, John 3.16 in there. Now, here's what we have to understand. This is not a new observation or conversation. Paul the Apostle would recognize this as well as he'd write to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Can we do some work today? This is what he writes. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters... That's all of us. In view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And then he says this, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And the problem is, is that many of us, especially people of faith, have lost the ability to discern because we lost our accent of wisdom. We stopped asking for wisdom. We stopped asking for input. We need wisdom. Someone shout wisdom. Wisdom. Without a clear definition of wisdom, according to God, we all but become another cog in the wheel of fortune that is the world and fate fitting into a system and a design that we were never meant to fit into. We were called to stand out from. This would be Paul's admonition. Can I just tell you today that the well is the well because we are not trying to fit in, we are trying to stand out. Let me prove it to you. Scripture, Philippians 2, 13 through 16. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work According to all of our own good purposes. No, it doesn't say that. According to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. I love that verse as a father. Verse 15, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. Here it is. Among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Wisdom makes you stand out. Wisdom's a separator. 
You will get critique from anybody and everybody if you choose to be wise. Here's a better way of looking at it. You will receive critique about your life no matter what you do. If you act stupid, you will have people who will critique you. Come on, somebody. And if you act wise, you will have people who will critique you. So here's my choice. I would much rather have the ramifications of wisdom than stupidity, regardless if somebody's going to say something. Right? So we've got to work through it. To have a philosophy of life, or more importantly and biblically, wisdom for life, is to have every area of our lives shaped by the goodness and power of God's word. This would be what the writer in Proverbs is saying, that we just read it. All of life, every aspect, desire, function, appendage is to be guided and guarded by wisdom. Because here's the truth. Without wisdom, justice is simply revenge. Let that, let that have some weight. In our social justice generation, without wisdom, it's simply revenge. Without wisdom, love is just circumstantial. Without wisdom, joy is the product of having all that we can get and keeping all that we have. Without wisdom, morals and integrity are moving targets and subjective. Without wisdom, the foundation on which we stand is fractured at best. Wisdom is the life well lived. It is the crown of a life that is productive, precise, and potent. Wisdom is the good life, and the good life is wisdom. So we need to get wisdom. They told us we need to get milk. We need to get wisdom. Now, this is not a new conversation. What is wisdom? What is life? What is the good life? I want to introduce you to our four gurus today. And this is not in any, any chronological order especially, but the first guy I want to introduce us to is a guy named Seneca. And for those of you who studied philosophy for like 13 of your college years, be quiet. <laughs> Seneca, he introduces us to the philosophy of Stoicism or being a Stoic. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm brutalizing this because like there's so much depth in this reality, but just at a, like a high bar level so, so we can actually work through this in enough time, Seneca pretty much had the idea that in order to navigate the life that we need to live in and examine it, we have to live a, a stoic life. We need to separate ourselves from our emotions and our feelings, okay? So he works through that process for us. Many of us understand Seneca. We may have not heard, heard it taught this way or like our parents didn't sit down at dinner and be like, today let me introduce you to Seneca. I'm gonna teach you to be detached from the world around you. That's not what they did, okay? But this is taught in our upbringing because these philosophies that I'm gonna introduce you to, these gurus, they support the entire intellectual prowess of, of the Western world to which we live in. Here's guru number two, Socrates. He did not invent soccer. Socrates informed a lot of philosophers. His claim was that he was ignorant or aware of his own absence of knowledge and his claim that the unexamined life is not worth living for human beings. So what he would propagate is this idea that we have to examine everything, which is good. I'm not saying that some of these are inherently bad or good. I'm just helping us see where a lot of our thinking processes come from. 
So examine everything. We get the satiric message from him, the satiric method from him as we examine things and ask questions, all right? Here's the third guy, Plato, and not the stuff you play with at dinner. Plato. The most fundamental distinction in Plato's philosophy is between the many observable objects that appear beautiful, good, just, unified, equal, and big. He creates for us a utopian dreamscape to where everything is beautiful. And how many of you would agree with me that so much of the lives that we live is in the drawing in of things that are beautiful? Oh, it's so nice. And we're pulled in by these things. I want to bring us, I haven't said this in any other service, but it just came to my head uh, during worship. I want, I want to read this moment in Genesis chapter 3. You're not going to see this on the screens. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, watch this. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. Isn't it interesting that we will believe that the things that are the most beautiful in the world that we live in contain the most wisdom only to bite of the apple and realize that we are on a broken path. And just so you know, I actually don't think the fruit that they ate from was an apple. That's like not necessarily true. It was fruit, so call it fruit. Just, that's the biblical strength. I gotta make sure we understand that. Where does it say it was an apple? It doesn't. The last guy, Aristotle. How many of you have heard of these guys before? Show hands, come on, show hands. All right, cool, most of us in here. It's because we studied them in school. They create the backdrop to so much of our literary works, books we've read, things we've studied, all of these guys. Aristotle conceives of ethical theory as I feel distinct from the theoretical sciences. So what he presents to us is a way to study ethics. The problem is, and that we get into this, and we'll probably maybe talk about this at another moment in the series, is how do we define ethics if we don't have any moral backing it? I'll just leave that one there. We'll talk about it later in the series. <laughs> There's so many other vast Contributors to the ranks of philosophical minds, many of which you would all know if I rattled their names off and some we'll hear from in this series. These guys are considered the father figures. These four have the most play in this whole ideology. Here's the problem that we face. Because we've lost the image of Jesus as a whole life philosophy, We've allowed the voices of gurus to lead us in the procession of life. And in doing so, we live a life. But I want to submit to us today that we're not leaving the best life. Socrates, Seneca, Plato, Aristotle, all lived and influenced thought and philosophy before the birth and the arrival of Jesus. One guy, Seneca. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Don't worry, I'm leading to a crescendo in just a moment, okay? But you need, we need to grab a hold of this. Seneca would have been alive at roughly the same time as both Jesus and Paul the Apostle. And this is very important to note because Seneca would have had a significant influence in the thought and philosophy at this time to which the teachings of Christianity would fly in the face of. They are diabolically opposed. Such a moment would be found in 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through to 23. Watch what Paul the Apostle writes. 
Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the reasonings of the wise are futile. So let no one boast in human leaders. He's going at the knees of philosophy. Philosophy that told us and tells us how we should see the world. So Jesus comes on scene. Paul's backing up what Jesus preached. Jesus comes on scene and he says one of the most bold and assured statements that one could ever say And almost every single one of us has heard this statement before. With all of this sitting in the backdrop now, I want you to hear what Jesus says. In John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Let me introduce you to our God. If you want to call it something else, call it the fifth pillar. We have our gurus. We have the people that have been leading the procession of our life. And then Jesus steps into the fray and he declares above it all that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And there is no one else, nothing else, no other philosophy or ideology except Jesus. Come on, someone shout, act a fool. (laughs) So he's offering us a new way of life, a new way of seeing things and doing things, a new way of being rooted in the, and, and grounded in the world that we live in, not getting caught, like, caught up in craftiness and slick sayings, not getting caught up in 140 characters or Instagram quotes. His name is Jesus. And so today, with all this in the backdrop, helping us move forward in this series over the next several weeks, what I want to do is I want to give us three guiding truths that I hope anchor us as we walk through this collection of conversations. There's the first truth that I want you to write down today if you're taking notes. Wisdom is a pattern to walk in. I don't care if you're five years old in here, 15 years old, Teenagers, you better get here for this series because we're gonna talk about some stuff. I just want you to know this is your church as well. If I can talk to the teens in here and all of our services, if you're watching online, get your teens here because there's some important stuff that we're gonna grab a hold of. Wisdom is a pattern to walk in. Proverbs chapter four, verses 10 through 19 says this. Listen, my son, accept my words and you will live many years. (laughs) I'm teaching you, here it is, the way of wisdom. I'm guiding you on straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction, don't let it go. Guard it, for it is your life. Keep off the path of the wicked. Don't proceed on the way of evil ones. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn away from it. Pass by it. 
For they can't sleep unless they've done what is evil. They are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, shining brighter until midday. But the way of the wicked is like the darkest gloom. They don't know what makes them stumble. This is our Bible. It's amazing what happens with, like, when we dig into this thing. What comes out of it? Now let's get something very clear from the outset of this thing. Wisdom is a principle. It's a principle. It's not a formula or a guarantee. And the reason that's important is because many of us want it to be a guarantee. We wanna walk out of here and go, okay, well if I do this, then God will reward me with this, as if he's our cosmic genie in a bottle. It's not a guarantee, it's a way of life. However, there are some biblical guarantees. Here's one. If I put my faith in and believe on Jesus, I will be saved. Guarantee. I am given a comforter and a convictor and a counselor in and through the Holy Spirit. Guarantee. The Bible is the infallible and authoritative word of God. Guarantee. Two plus two equals four. There's no argument about it, as much as we want to argue about it. <laughs> However, a principle is a different matter entirely. A principle is not a formula. In other words, just because we employ a principle in our lives doesn't mean things will always turn out the way that we want it to. This is what trips many of us up, because we've heard this before. If I come to God, everything's going to go awesome in my life. The problem is, is that you quickly get rid of God from your life because you realize that that's not true. So why employ wisdom? Well, wisdom tells us that if we keep on exercising wisdom as a pattern and a principle in our life, things can change. The problem is that there's variables to life, and these variables at times will infringe upon even the most astute employer of the principle. However, that does not negate the fact that we shouldn't exercise wisdom. Why? Because there is a way of wisdom. Here's an illustration for you. Wisdom says, don't poke a hornet's nest with sticks. Can I get an amen in church today? Right? Like, how many of you know, wisdom says, like, don't go, if you went out in your backyard today and there was this big old massive hornet's nest and you're like, hmm, good idea, bad idea, poke it with a stick. Right? It should quickly chime in, bad idea. Wisdom says, don't poke the hornet's nest. Right? Does it guarantee that I'll never be stung though? Mm -mm. Not at all. But it absolutely lessens the chances. Will I go to hell if I poke the hornet's nest? No. But will life get extremely difficult if I do? That's wisdom. The principle of wisdom. In his book, The Practice, Shipping Creative Work, author Seth Godin writes this. Good processes, repeated over time, lead to good outcomes more often than lazy processes do. Wisdom employed in my marriage over time leads to a better and more productive marriage. Wisdom employed on my finances over time leads to better finances. Wisdom applied to my decisions over time leads to better decision making, therefore better consequences. The life of wisdom is the good life. Wisdom 
is about living with length in mind. And wisdom is the path we must choose if we want to experience the life God has for us. Number two, every shout number two. Here's the second truth I want to anchor us is that wisdom is a foundation to build on. Wisdom is a foundation to build on. Proverbs chapter three, 19 through to 20. The Lord founded the earth by wisdom and established the heavens by understanding. By his, not, the Lord did that. He founded the earth by wisdom and established the heavens by understanding. By his knowledge, the watery death broke open and the clouds dripped with dew. Here's the question I want us to consider today. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes or write it on your pants like we did in sixth grade. <laughs> what am I building my life on? What am I building my life on? Listen to Proverbs 24, verses three through four. I love this scripture. A house is built by wisdom and it's established by understanding. And then listen to this, I love the language. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with every precious and beautiful treasure. The house that you're trying to build is established by wisdom. And once you've built that house, its rooms are filled with every precious treasure by knowledge. Here's the problem that some of us are facing today is that we have all the right materials but the wrong foundation. We're trying to build this house called life. You know, well, I'm, I'm trying to, like, I, we come to church, worship, we read, I read my Bible. I balance my checkbook appropriately. Bank account, online, however you do it. What are checks? Um, I'm trying to live healthy. I'm, I'm making right decisions. And the crazy thing is, is that you can do all those things, but if the foundation is off, the house will still crumble. Why? Because in all of the things that we try to build with, we're simply building sandcastles. Jesus would tell us that it's like the man who built his house on sand. And the rains came, and the winds came, and the waters came, and because it was built on sand, it was just a sandcastle. You know the crazy thing is, is I, I used to live in Hawaii a long, long time ago. It's one of my fondest memories of Hawaii. I don't remember much about it. I probably would have been like five, six maybe. And I remember my dad taking us to the beach so many times. And on this particular beach, I couldn't tell you where it was at, but I remember walking up as a, just a small kid to these massive sandcastles that people were building. And maybe you've seen these on TV. They'd build these gigantic, like, like sometimes it was turtles and, and these dolphins, these guys were making it out of sand. And then they would build sandcastles. They'd build sandcastles to the size and scope to which I, as a five, six-year-old, could walk through it. Have you guys seen these things before? The funny thing about it was, as I remember it now, None of those are standing anymore. All, like, to all the elaborate things that went into build this, I mean, think about that. These guys would carve out all the intricate details. They would do their finest work on these sandcastles, these ma so that you could walk through them and you could, you could enjoy the beauty of them and you could be like, wow, this is so fascinating. Look how amazing this sandcastle is and you can wander through it. But the problem was is that with all of the work and all of the effort and all of the beauty that went into that sandcastle, one high tide took it out. And I just want to submit to us today that that's many of our lives. 
We are one high tide away from destruction. I feel like God has something for us in this moment. Some of us sitting in this room right now, one high tide away from destruction because we built our life on the philosophies of the world. We built our life on all these things that at the end of the day are not the thing that we need. It's not the foundation that actually allows my life to be built in a way that stands when everything comes against it. But Jesus said, if you build your life on me, you're building it on a rock and it will not fall. We shouldn't be building sandcastles. I watch so many people try and make right decisions with the wrong foundation. And then they find themselves in constant frustration. If we do not consider these truths today, then the rest of this series will be just another line of fodder and information to go in one ear and out the other. If we don't consider this truth today, when we talk about marriage, it won't matter. Why? because he's just another philosophy. So we come into church for a nice service. It's really welcoming around here, the coffee's good, because it is, it's alpha, it's awesome. (laughs) But if we don't consider the source, then all of these things that we say over the next several weeks don't mean anything. It's just a a glorified self-help seminar. Right? And I just run, build your marriages <laughs> on good things. Guess what? You can go to any library and find 55,000 self-help books. You just need to look to a cross. And you'll find everything that you need. And here's the last thing, the last truth I want us to grab a hold of is that wisdom is protection for our hearts. Proverbs chapter four, 20 through 23 says this. Listen listen to the words, my son or my daughter, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Mind, pay attention, listen, ears, don't lose sight of them. You notice how he's employing every ounce of who we are. I want you to hear, I want you to sense, I want you to see, and then I want you to keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them. And here it is, health to one's whole body. In other parts of the Bible, we hear a statement like this, I I pray that you prosper as your soul prospers. That's what we're talking about here. And then he says this in verse 23, guard your heart, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. He's not talking about not eating fatty foods. That's not what he's talking about. When he says guard your heart, he's talking about a bigger, it's not the thing that's pumping blood through your veins right now. What he's talking about is a, is a deeper, more spiritual reality, our heart being that which wraps us all together. It's the, 
complete and total reality of who we are, mind, soul, body, spirit, all that. Your heart, guard your heart. The problem is, is that many of us have guarded everything else in our life except our heart. So we let people into it that shouldn't be there. We let things into it that shouldn't be there. We let philosophies into it that shouldn't be there. We allow motives and shame and guilt to run rampant in there. How many of you know that someone knocks on my door at 11.30 at night and I don't know them and they ask to come in my house? How many of you know they're not coming in my house? (laughs) Yet the crazy thing is, is that so many of us in all of our service today, and I've done this as well, and still, I allow it to happen sometimes. As things come knocking on the door of our heart at 11.30 at night, and we go, come on in. Come hang out. And we shut the door, and they stay in there. And maybe not a day later, maybe not a week later, maybe not a month later, maybe not for some of us 20 years later, but it seems to be that 21st year, all of a sudden, you sit in a service like this, and you realize, my God, that thing has been in my heart for all this time, and I have been mastered by it. Our marriages, our singleness, our parenting, our thought life, our faith has all been persuaded by that one thing I let in my heart at 1130 20 years ago.